0: Welcome to all those who are joining us in the fellowship hall and in the broadcast this morning. It's good for us to be able to study the word of God together as a family of faith. Today we're celebrating the second Sunday of the season of Epiphany, and the word Epiphany means new sight or new revelation because in this season Jesus is revealing who God is to the world. He's showing God's character through healing and teaching and preaching and miracles. And we just celebrated Christmas, Jesus' birth, and on December 30th, we talked about how eight days after his birth, Jesus was recognized as the infant Messiah by Simeon and Anna in the temple. And the last Sunday, and last Sunday, the first day of Epiphany, we talked about the visit of the Magi, showing that in Jesus, God was doing something for all of the world. But by this week, in our text today, Jesus is already 30 years old, and his baptism marks the beginning Of his public ministry. But before we get there, have you ever wondered what happened in Jesus' life in those years in between? We have only one story of Jesus' childhood in the scriptures of Jesus going to the temple with Mary and Joseph at age 12. And Jesus mistakenly gets left behind, and Mary and Joseph search and find him eventually in the temple. And Jesus' answer to them in Luke 2 is this Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. In these in-between years, Scripture tells us Jesus was growing. And what does that mean? I want to talk about this today because I think it can be really hard for us to see in our own lives somehow how God works in what seems to be just ordinary life. The big celebrations of Christmas and New Year's, they're over now. Now it's just January. So how is God at work now? And that answer can sometimes be easier to see in someone else's life. So I want to ask that question, looking at what God was doing in Jesus in these in-between years. We can guess that in this time, as a boy around age 12 or younger, Jesus would have been apprenticed to learn the trade of carpentry, working with Joseph to support the family. And somewhere between ages 12 and 30, we stop hearing references to Joseph, and many scholars assume that that means that Joseph died somewhere in that time. And if that was the case, as the oldest son of the family in those years, Jesus would most likely be occupied with providing for his widowed mother and his half-brothers and sisters. It's even possible that he apprenticed some of his own half-brothers into the trade of carpentry. So how was God working in Jesus in those seemingly ordinary days of village life? How were they part of what Jesus came to do? Well, first of all, those years prepared him physically. In that time and place, if you were a carpenter, you needed to be strong. If you've seen pictures of the Nazareth region, you know that it's not like Minnesota, Carpenters often needed to walk long distances to find and to collect the wood that they needed. And once they'd gathered the material and brought it back home, there were no power tools. It took strength to cut and to carve and to shape it for sale. In those years, Jesus would have gained strength and discipline that he would need to endure three years of constant journeying by foot from town to town. Long hours of teaching and healing and miracle working with very little rest he would have had the calluses that came from hard work and the discipline needed to follow through. Time in the wood shop also would have given him long hours by himself to think and to pray as he worked, to deepen in his discipline and prayer and his meditation on the word. Those ordinary years of living life also prepared him for his calling in other ways. Did you ever notice that most of the parables and examples that Jesus used to convey God's truths to the world came from everyday examples of village life the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman worked through bread until it rose the kingdom of God is like a shepherd who goes after a lost sheep until he finds it the kingdom of God is like wheat growing among weeds that will not be separated until the final harvest Jesus is speaking to people who know what it's like to knead the dough or to shepherd the sheep or who worry about the impact of the weeds on the wheat This is Emmanuel, God with us, God immersed in human life, the Messiah, fully human, fully divine, telling us something about God and how he operates that's even more true than the most obviously fundamental realities of daily life. You see, God knows what he's doing. Those 18 years of Jesus' life between the story of the boy in the temple and Jesus' baptismal commissioning at 30 were not wasted years. They were crucial ones. These years show us how our God is present and working in ways we might not even recognize in our daily lives. If God worked that subtly to bring growth in Jesus, to train him up for his calling in the world, why would he not also be at work that way in you and in me? In other words, if God doesn't seem to be doing dramatic things in your life right now, that doesn't mean he's not doing something important. I want to invite you at this season of your life to ask God, Lord, what are you teaching me right now? What is it that you want to show me about you in my life right now? And he will show you if you listen. And I think there's another thing we should notice about the gap between ages 12 and 30. Scripture shows us that for at least 18 years before his public ministry began, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. When Joseph and Mary came looking for him as a boy, he said to them, Did you not know I'd be in my father's house? That tells us it wasn't because Jesus didn't know that he was the Messiah that he didn't immediately step into that role. It was because he was obediently waiting on his father's go-ahead, the commissioning of the Holy Spirit. So what does that tell us? There are seasons of God's timing for us in our lives too. Jesus' example shows us that we are called to live our lives not by what we think best, but by listening for God's leading. There are all kinds of good things we could do in the world, but God doesn't call us personally to do every single one of them at all times. Instead, when Jesus calls his disciples, he says to them, follow me. He calls them to focus in on what he is doing at that moment and imitate it. And why does Jesus call disciples this way? Because that's how he lived in relationship with God, his Father. The Gospels show us very clearly that Jesus lived dependent on God's leading. Jesus says in John 12, 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. See, Jesus was obedient to the leading of God, his Father, to the point that he could say in John 14, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And again in John 14, 8, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Christian life, the Christ-like life, is an intentional obedience and humbleness before God. And sometimes that means bold action. And sometimes it means living as Jesus did for so many years. As Romans 12, 18 also instructs us, he worked hard, he lived quietly and at peace with everyone, as far as it depended on him. And because Jesus was living life this way, I have to think that the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah at his baptism must have come as a complete surprise to a lot of people. To put it mildly, they just didn't know he had it in him. Isn't that the carpenter's son? That's why this moment of Jesus' baptism is such an epiphany, a revelation. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the story of Jesus' baptism, and they each have a slightly different angle on the telling, like different facets of a diamond. Some of them emphasize the crowd's reaction. Some emphasize God's clear claim of Jesus. Some emphasize John the Baptist's reaction. But I think the way the Gospel of Luke tells it underlines more than any of the other Gospels the surprise of how Jesus just seems to come out of nowhere. He emerges from among the people. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene, the people were really wondering if this was the time the Messiah would be revealed. John did his job well. Huge crowds went down to the Jordan to be baptized as a sign of repentance. They didn't want to miss what was going to happen. But it seems until God himself draws their attention to it, they all do. John is baptizing people left and right. The crowds are pressing in. And the gospel writer Luke says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, wait a minute, (laughs) what just happened? Among the crowds of people, the masses of humanity going down to the water, loud and messy and live, was Jesus, just one more in the assembly line, dunked and dipped and set to the side. As John talks about one more powerful than himself who will come, there he stands right among them, praying, the young carpenter from Nazareth. And this is where we hit the Trinitarian moment. The obedient son, in prayer with God his Father, finally receives the commissioning, the go ahead of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on him bodily in the form of a dove, and as all eyes turn to him, a voice rings out, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And suddenly everyone sees what God alone had always seen. And it's a shock. Even John the Baptist, the one whose job it was to recognize the Messiah, didn't see it until God the Father opened his eyes through the Holy Spirit. John says in John 1, 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Can you imagine? On a very small scale, it's kind of like being at a party all evening and at the end of the night finding out the guy you happen to be chatting with all night is actually the Prince of Wales. John discovered the Messiah in the middle of the crowd, Emmanuel, God with us. God can be at work in us and among us, but without the Holy Spirit's help, we will not see it. We need God's power even to notice him at work. In our lives. And that's why humble hearts, hearts willing to surrender and to listen, are so crucial in the Christian life, the Christ Ian life. And Jesus modeled that humble heart. Jesus had always been God's Son, but with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' baptism became the Trinitarian moment of the fullness of God. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all-present, God's full being united in Jesus on the ground to bring about the fullness of redemption for all the world. And when Jesus completed his mission through the cross, dying for the sins of all humanity, dragged under the waters of our sinful reality and brokenness and emerged clean and free by God's power, in his resurrection appearances, he told his disciples, called by the Father... They had been made clean by his sacrifice, claimed by the victory of the Son of God. But now they too needed to wait for the Holy Spirit's commissioning for their own go time. Jesus' own life teaches us that we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit is often pictured as a wind. The Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. It's the power and direction for living God's love and purpose in the world. God's own spirit at work. And Jesus' baptism serves as the catalyst to put God's call, claim, and commissioning into action to change the world forever through Jesus the Messiah. So what does this Trinitarian moment of Jesus the Messiah have to do with us? Well, because of Jesus' cleansing work for us, you and I lost in the crowds of sinful humanity have now been called out by God and claimed as his own children. This is my beloved one. Because Christ became one of us and redeemed us from the inside out, our baptisms too become a Trinitarian moment. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that now we are all to be baptized in the triune name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That we are born into a fallen world, but in baptism we are called to drown that claim of sin over us and receive instead Jesus' claim of life over us. These are not waters of birth, they're waters of adoption. Adoption into a new life, into a love that is chosen, because you are chosen by God. And it's a reality that only the Holy Spirit can reveal in our hearts and its fullness what that actually means for us. Romans 8, 14 through 16 tells us, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Because of what Jesus did for us and his death and resurrection, in Christ our baptism has become a washing into a new identity, a calling, a claiming, a commissioning into a new life empowered by the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to victorious life. It's a calling to grow and following the leading of that spirit every day of our lives. It's go time. And in that way, our baptism isn't just about us. The Holy Spirit also sends us for the sake of the world. The purpose of our lives is to let God's light shine through us so that others may see his truth for them through his love in us. We are called to be lanterns of the Lord. And as Jesus, God's son, lived his Father's will for the world and shared the power of the Holy Spirit, we too are called to shine. And I pray today through the Holy Spirit's leading that you will see the great surprise, the epiphany here, child of God, is not just Jesus, the Son of God, revealed in the middle of the crowd, but Jesus Christ revealed in you. God has chosen you to be his light in the world. You are the one that he calls and sends. Baptized into the family, now the Holy Spirit commissions you to live out that truth that Jesus died and rose to give you. Learning to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. When we follow his leading, consistent with God's word, God will use you and the opportunities he gives you in ordinary life to change the world too. And I mean that quite literally. If my grandmother's mother hadn't prayed out loud in Dutch at Ellis Island for God's help to get her family to South Dakota, only to be overheard by the one person who could help them. If a neighbor girl hadn't invited my nine-year-old mother to vacation Bible school, which led her to want to be baptized and grow in faith, If my pastor's family hadn't been visited by a door-to-door evangelist in Las Vegas, starting up a Lutheran mission-start church, drawing him into a real relationship with Jesus that began his journey of faith that in turn nurtured mine. If any one of those people, people I've never met, people whose names I don't even know, had chosen not to listen to God's nudge on their heart to do what they did, to invite, to reach out, to respond, my life would not be what it is today. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. Through our ordinary life, he does extraordinary things. Jesus obediently lived into the calling he was given, and because he did, Titus tells us, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You, beloved, are sent by the Holy Spirit of God who is at work in your life. You are sent to live as children of the light in a dark world that someone else may know through you how unexpectedly, how powerfully, how beautifully our God has reached out to claim every heart in Jesus Christ. God is still doing a new thing, but we can do nothing without his leading. So will you join me today in listening for his voice? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you have called us. We know that you've called us because we're here. That somewhere deep in our hearts we knew today that we needed to be here to hear your word to us, to hear your voice at work in our lives. Lord, thank you for calling us to you. And Lord, thank you for claiming us as your own. Lord, when you died on the cross, you did that for all the world. You did that for our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to acknowledge humbly again, thank you, Lord, with deep gratitude to acknowledge that what you did was for us, to claim us as yours forever. Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you that is personal and that it's true. And Lord, we know that you have also commissioned us. That in that truth, as your people, you commission us to live out your character in the world and to follow after you. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place, fill our hearts, knock on our hearts to show us the next steps to nudge us, Lord, to know the depth of your love for us, to know what it means that we belong to you, to help us to live out that calling in the world empower us, show us how to shine your light. Lord, we wait upon you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.